guys and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you for joining your hosts, Tierra and Jack, for what is now episode number 94. So before we get into the Q&A, we wanted to remind you guys that if you do enjoy these episodes, please remember to repost them onto your social media. Also, if you are feeling nice, you can leave a review on iTunes as well. And in regards to our coaching services, if you are interested in checking that out, you can head over to our website, which is linked in the show notes, any of our Instagram bios, or you can just search the Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google. And just a heads up, we don't just coach physique athletes. We coach anyone with a health and fitness goal. Awesome. All right, guys. So we are kickstarting this episode, episode 94, with a bit of a PSA. That's right. We've got a public service announcement for the TB community out there because we made a mistake. All right, guys, we uh, we made a mistake and we feel like we've done wrong by you. And when you make mistakes, you know, you take responsibility, you own up to them and you set things straight because I don't know about you, but if I say something that's incorrect, I can't sleep at night. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I get, I'm very restless. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, guys, we need to make an apology because in the past we may have inaccurately told you how to calculate your fiber intake and we need to set things straight. So in the past, when we've been talking about tracking fiber intake here in Australia, we previously said that the fiber intake was actually included in the total carbohydrate intake. So for example, if you had a food that said it had 25 grams of carbohydrates in it and it had five grams of fiber in it, then the actual amount of digestible carbohydrates in that food would have been 20. But it has come to our attention that we were wrong. So when it actually comes to tracking fiber intake in Australia, the fiber, because Australian nutritionists and dietitians and, you know, the nutrition government pretty much, they recognize that fiber, because it has beta bonds in it and we don't have the enzymes to digest and break apart beta bonds, it is undigestible carbohydrate. So it's not actually included in the total carbohydrate amount. So when you read an Australian nutrition label and it says that it has 25 grams of carbs and some sort of food and five grams of fiber, it does in fact have 25 grams of digestible carbohydrates. So just wanted to clear that up because, you know, I didn't want, uh, you know, people out there, you know, if they're weighing their apples and it says, my apple has 15 grams of carbs in it and three grams of fiber, then you are deducting that three grams of fiber and you are gonna hold me accountable for putting you over your macros by uh, 12 calories, right? I don't wanna be responsible for that. I want you to hit your targets. So yeah, set things straight. But here comes the confusion. So in other countries, for example, in the US, sometimes they actually refer to things as net carbs. So in some countries, when you actually read a nutrition label, it will say total carbohydrates. And under that, it will say, it will have the sugar, it will have the fiber, and it might even say net carbs. So net carbs refers to the total amount of actual digestible carbohydrates. And the way I kind of like to imagine this is almost as if I'm out on a boat at sea, and the sea is a sea of total carbohydrates. <laughs> so there's digestible carbs floating around and there's fiber floating around, right? And I cast a net out into the ocean, right? But obviously nets, they have holes in them. So depending on the size of those holes, I'm actually only going to catch 
digestible carbohydrates because let's imagine that they are bigger molecules than the fiber itself. So fiber flows freely through my net and I'm only able to catch the carbs because that's what I want anyway, you know, I want the energy. So yeah, that's pretty much that guys. Hopefully we cleared that up and pretty much, yeah, in Australia, when it says that something has a certain amount of carbohydrates in it, it does have that amount of carbohydrates in it and the fiber is separate. So yeah, just to add some additional points. So fiber will still contain calories depending on what type of fiber it is and where it comes from. So it could contain anywhere from like one to three calories. And that's still important to recognize because in Australia, if we're not tracking, if not, if fiber is not included as part of the carbohydrate content, then basically if you're consuming more fiber, then ultimately in the day, you might be consuming more energy in total, which is what we got a bit mixed up on a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have the enzymes to actually break down those beta bonds in the small intestine, right? How are we actually extracting calories from fiber? So basically our organisms in our gut, part of the microbiome, they are able to break down those carbohydrate bonds that we can't break down. So the beta bonds and basically the microbiome metabolizes those carbohydrates, producing short chain fatty acids, one of them being butyrate and those contain calories, but Mm. it's not an exact science. We can't exactly calculate how many calories we absorb. Um, We might not absorb any, we might absorb some, we might even absorb some still in the small intestine. Like that's why it's partially absorbed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and even those short chain fatty acids, right, they'll then be absorbed into the bloodstream and that's how we can actually utilize energy from them. But like you said, let's say one gram of fiber could potentially equate to one to three calories, right? Let's say you're a female and you're trying to hit your fiber target of 25 grams. That's only taking in potentially an extra 25 to 75 calories across an entire day. Same with a male, right? 30 grams, potentially taking in an extra 30 to 90 calories across the day. So it certainly isn't significant. And at the same time, like we'll never really know. We'll Mm. never really know how much of your fiber is actually being digested. And even the thermic effect of food, right? How many calories is it actually taking to actually break down that fiber itself? So it's a math equation we will never be able to solve. It's it's always gonna be a mystery, guys. But I guess when it comes to tracking fiber intake, like one, just make sure you're hitting your fiber targets. So the guidelines here in Australia say that for females consuming at least 25 grams of fiber per day for males, because generally males have higher caloric intakes, consuming at least 30 grams of fiber per day. Remember those are minimums and it is okay to exceed that. In fact, it's perfectly fine. It's actually a good thing if you're exceeding those minimum fiber intakes, because it's indicative that you will have a healthy, nutritious diet full of whole foods like grains and pulses, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, all that wonderful stuff as long as you're not just getting it from like phylum husk and fiber one bars. Yeah, I'd say just keep it consistent, right? If you're consuming, let's say like around 40 grams of fiber per day on average, just keep that pretty consistent. Make sure you're consuming anywhere between like 30 to 50 grams and have 40 as that median and um, you're sweet to go. Yeah, it's definitely not worth overanalyzing. And I think that was, yeah, hopefully we rectified that for you guys. A lot of you probably didn't even listen to that episode or didn't notice <laughs> that we messed up, but we, we got a few messages. So we, we've actually deleted that episode and re-uploaded it. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, no one will know that we messed up until they yeah. listen to this one. So <laughs> Exactly. But that's the thing. We take pride in our work and we want to be putting out good quality information that to the best of our knowledge is correct because we want to be educating you guys with the most up-to-date, correct information. So if we make a mistake, we're going to own up to it and correct ourselves. Mm. But I mean, if you did, if you can remember when we answered that question before, you basically just reverse what we said. Yeah. So it, yeah, we didn't get too much wrong. But yeah, it's all good, guys. You know, you're a pretty good person when you feel really guilty about telling someone how to inaccurately track their fiber. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. So this next question says, if the scale doesn't move down for you or your clients, what changes do you put in place? Cool. So assuming that you want to lose body fat as mm-hmm. in the scale moving down, there's a lot of factors that we need to take into consideration beyond just saying be in an energy deficit, which undoubtedly is the most important factor for fat loss. But what is an energy deficit and like how do we achieve that? So a lot of what we do is one like intuitive eating or setting a fairly rough guide in place without following like a strict meal plan or we use counting calories as well mm-hmm. on my fitness power, counting macros, all that kind of stuff. So each of those avenues will provide their challenges and even someone on tracking on my fitness power saying they're in an energy deficit or let's say someone comes to us saying, oh, I've tracked on my fitness pal, I've eaten like 1000 calories a day and I'm still not losing weight. But then when you dig a little bit deeper, like they haven't been compliant, they've tracked well five days of the week and then on the weekend they haven't. They're, they're not tracking all the little snacks, they're having all the bites of, of other people's food maybe, all that kind of stuff and it adds up. So at the end of the day, if it, if, if it looks wrong, Like if you're on 1000 calories and you're not losing weight, then chances are it is wrong Mm -hmm. and you just, you're not doing everything correctly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So if someone does come to you and they're like, I'm eating this amount of food, I'm expending this amount of energy and I'm not losing weight before you say, okay, well, we just need to increase your energy deficit either by cutting your calories more or increasing your energy output more. You need to go through that shiz with a fine tooth comb and make sure that they're actually following the plan in the first place, right? So let's say that someone is trying to hit specific targets on MyFitnessPal when you know that if they were definitely hitting those targets, given their current body composition, given their current energy expenditure, that would most certainly have them in a caloric deficit, but they just don't seem to be losing weight you need to ensure that they're actually tracking correctly and they're being adherent with what they're tracking, right? And they aren't. Like Jack said, they're tracking every single thing. They are taking into account every single calorie that they put into their body. So actually going through MyFitnessPal, right, with your coach and actually saying like, okay, cool. Are you actually tracking, you know, using nut tab entries? Are you tracking using reliable entries? Are you actually tracking your fruit? For example, you're not just typing into MyFitnessPal one banana, right? Like you're actually putting that banana on the scale because we all know that a banana can be anywhere between 50 grams to 150 grams, right? And that's a significant load of calories, right? Especially with things like fruit or eyeballing things, even using cups and metrics, you know, like I've certainly worked with people before who, before they transition over to using, actually weighing things in grams, they're actually putting things into cups. And 
I swear to gosh, like I wish cups could just be universal, but they're not, right? Like you look at one cup and it's like twice the size of another cup. And you're like, this is crazy, right? These are, this is literally twice the calories if I put my oats in this cup versus another. So how do you measure out a cup of corn thins as well? Yeah, I have no idea. Or like people who are like putting cottage cheese into cups and then they're putting it, you know, onto their food. I'm like, you just dirty the cup, <laughs> put the tub on the scale and take it out of the tub and subtract the amount of cottage cheese. That's just an example. But yeah, first off, before you go slashing someone's calories or giving them heaps of cardio, right? Make sure that they're actually following the plan in the first place and they're tracking correctly so that, you know, it's a foolproof plan and you know that they literally are on track. That would certainly be the first thing. So making sure that you are actually tracking correctly. And the next thing is make sure that you're actually tracking correctly consistently, you know, because again, I've had clients before in the past too, we set out a solid game plan, right? Like I'd like you to be following this rough, you know, meal plan. I'd like you to be hitting these macro targets. I'd like you to be training this number of times, expending this amount of energy through steps, getting this amount of sleep, right? You've got a solid plan in place, but then you come to your weekly check-in and you find that, you know, nutrition's kind of been all over the place. They only hit three training sessions out of five. They only walked 5,000 steps instead of 10,000 steps on average. They had two nights where they only slept for three hours, right? And then they'll ask you the question. They're like, okay, so like, I didn't lose any weight this week. Should we cut calories? And it's like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not the solution here. The solution is actually following the plan in the first place because there's nothing wrong with the plan, right? The plan will guarantee you results if you follow the plan. So you don't need to change it. You just need to follow it. So that's the other thing too. Yeah, I, I like something that Aiden, the dietitian, reposted a few days ago now or something. It was like, if starvation mode existed, then we wouldn't starve. Mm -hmm. And that can be kind of relatable to this because if you think about it, yeah, starvation mode doesn't exist. Otherwise, our, we would be very efficient at conserving energy, which we are to an extent, but, but not as much as, as people would think. So like if you aren't losing weight on 800 to 1,000 calories, then you're not in starvation mode. You are just... <laughs> you're not consuming 800 to 1,000 calories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the other point to consider is that weight plateaus are normal. And just because you haven't lost any weight or the scale hasn't dropped for like five or six days doesn't mean you aren't still in an energy deficit. Like we, we posted an infographic recently on our Instagram, basically saying all of the factors that influence the scale on an acute basis. So things like sodium, bathroom, like how often you've gone to the bathroom, time, meal timing, like glycogen, all that kind of stuff. And those factors will all influence the scale. So I would probably wait maybe even one to two weeks before making a decision in order to drop calories or macros, assuming you have been very consistent and accurate. But the other side of the coin is that you may have really just reached a plateau mm -hmm. and You've just got to kind of piece all the uh, pieces of the puzzle together in order to make an educated decision in terms of, okay, am I realistically at a plateau? Like I've just commenced my weight loss diet. I'm eating 1,200 calories and I've reached a plateau. More, more than likely you haven't. Um, you either haven't reached a plateau or you're just not tracking accurately versus, okay, I'm in week 15 of, of a diet and I'm on... 2,500 calories, is it time to drop them a little bit more? 
And more than likely the answer is going to be yes. Yeah, that's a really good example. So that's the thing, right? Just recognizing that plateaus happen. They're completely normal. They're going to happen to everyone because that's the thing, right? Weight loss isn't going to be linear. And sometimes you just have to suck it up and you just have to keep pushing. So if you truly have been tracking everything accurately, right? Your training, your nutrition, your recovery, you've given it, you've given it a good amount of time, one to two weeks to collect those weekly averages and combined with progress photos, skin folds, all that shebang. And you're like, nope, I'm still the same human being. So I'm not in an energy deficit. And my goal is to actually lose a bit more weight. You just need to suck it up and push a little bit harder. And that's mm. just the truth, right? So you need to create a larger net energy deficit. And the way you can go about that is through either decreasing food intake or increasing energy expenditure. So usually with our clients, it's always going to be individual on a case by case basis, depending on what suits their lifestyle best. Some people, you know, they'll find that, yeah, I'm actually feeling pretty good, pretty satiated. I hardly even feel like I'm dieting. So yeah, let's, you know, cut back on my energy intake a little bit because that should be very easy to manage. Or someone's like, no, I'm actually really hungry, but I've got some extra time during the day. I wouldn't mind, you know, doing half an hour of cardio four times a week, you know, or upping my daily steps by two and a half thousand steps on average each day. Like I would rather do that. It's always going to be a discussion with the client, with the coach to actually make that decision. But regardless, there's no getting around the bush in that sometimes you just have to keep pushing if you want an outcome and you have to be in an energy deficit if you mm. expect to lose weight. Yeah, especially if people come to a practitioner or if they choose to commence a diet themselves and they haven't optimized the starting point in any way. Like just because we deal with bodybuilders and we optimize the start of a comp prep for bodybuilders by doing like a mini card, building up their metabolism, doesn't mean you shouldn't do the same for yourself if you just want to lose weight. Like if you've been yo-yo dieting for a long time or if you've been eating like a bird, so like just small snacks for years on end and you want to lose weight, then it's going to be difficult mm -hmm. because you're in a very poor starting position. So it's, it's all about... So like, and part of it's genetics as well. So for those sorts of individuals, it's just going to be a bit of a slog, especially if you're dieting, have a decent amount to lose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this stuff takes time, right? Like people expect things like health and fitness, weight loss, body composition to be like, you know, just click of a finger, right? Just flick a switch. I'll achieve my results in six weeks kind of thing. Approach in any other way, right? Think about getting a uni degree. Think about building your way up to being a doctor and then getting a PhD. That's probably going to take like eight plus years, right? Or building your way up and working up in a hierarchy at a job, right? And working on your career. That stuff takes years. It takes decades. So you can't treat health and fitness in any other way. This stuff takes time, right? And I'm going to be the first to say it, you know, coaches aren't magicians. Unfortunately, a coach can't have a client come to them, you know, who may be metabolically adapted, metabolically compromised, right? Not have the best starting body composition. They might have elevated levels of body fat and not much muscle mass, you know, not great cardio respiratory fitness. You can't necessarily expect a coach, no matter how well educated they are, you know, uh, how evidence-based they are to just flick that switch and be able to get you on 3000 calories, you know, within a matter of weeks. Like, again, it takes time to build up your metabolic rate to actually change your body composition. So 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? I just want to back up a lot of coaches out there and say that it takes time and we're not magicians, right? We can't wave a wand and be like, you burn an extra 2000 calories every single day doing exactly what you're doing right now, you know? Mm. So yeah, a lot of the time we have to kind of restructure people's expectations and it's, we're not saying that we can't do what they want to do, but it's just going to, there might just be like three or four steps in the middle there, which they haven't kind of Mm -hmm. imagined. It's not just A to B in a straight line. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, right? Like you have to recognize that if you want to commit to this, it is probably going to take a number of years, right? To actually get to where you want to be. And everyone plays that comparison game on Instagram. But if you are comparing yourself to other people who are like, I'm eating three and a half thousand calories per day and you know, I'm super strong and I'm super fit. Like what they don't mention is that they've actually been living this lifestyle for probably the past 10 years and really looking after themselves. So don't expect to get to that point in 10 weeks, but that doesn't mean that you can't get to that point per se, right? Like, God, you just have to have that long-term vision. I still remember when I was working at UQ Sport and I was a personal trainer and a nutritionist just working on the gym floor. And this guy came in once, right? And he was like, he was almost trying to argue with me over memberships. He's like, so like he told me about his body composition goals, right? Obviously he wanted to gain a lot of weight, put on like pure lean mass. And he's like, should I get the three month or the six month membership? And I just looked at him point blank and I'm like, dude, it's going to take you 10 years. And (laughs) it's kind of funny. I saw him walking around with another PT the next day, trying to give him a different answer, but you got to tell people the truth, right? But some PTs would tell them, (laughs) buy my three-month program and you will look like that. Again, I'm an honest person, okay? I just made a huge apology about telling people how to inaccurately track their fiber, you know? Mm. But that's the thing. I'm not going to deceive someone. So, yeah, but that's the wonderful thing. Like, engaging in this lifestyle and actually working on yourself, self-improvement, self-development, it's freaking awesome. That's why I love going to the gym every single day because it's an opportunity to improve myself every single day. Even if I feel a little bit stronger, a little bit fitter, makes me feel so damn good. And it is that compound interest. It adds up, which is awesome, but it takes time. Yeah, when when I was working at a PT at UQ Sport, like not as much as you, but I still had these people coming in who were like, yeah, if I could, uh, I don't want to get too big. Like if I could just have your body, then I would be happy as if like, and then sometimes I was a little bit butthurt, I guess. And I would say, yeah, but I've been training for like eight years Mm -hmm. and they would get a little bit surprised at that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just one of the drawbacks of being a natty and wearing a baggy t-shirt to work. So, um, it's just people expectations because they what of what they see on social media it kind of is a little bit skewed so and that's one of the difficulties of being a coach in today's day and age is that you can't always give everyone a shortcut yeah but um but that's why from my very first consultation i let people know very honestly i'm like you know i can definitely help you achieve these goals long term and i think it's going to be a fantastic journey and we're going to work toward this but it isn't going to happen in four weeks and isn't going to happen in 10 weeks, right? And why would you want it to anyway, right? Because health and fitness, it's not something that you just get and then you can just keep forever. You know, you're constantly working on it, right? And you constantly have to put in the effort to maintain it too. That's what I love about it. You literally can't fake it. Like people wear their work. Mm, Totally. And I guess just a disclaim, we're not talking about some someone wanting to lose 
five kilos or two kilos. We're talking about someone who wants to completely transform their body mm. and like, or people who just have unrealistic expectations, like showing me a picture of Phil Heath and saying, yeah, next year I want to, I want to look like this or <laughs> something like that. And so, yeah, we can try, <laughs> can't guarantee. <laughs> We'll try our best. But uh, yeah, all right, we'll move on to this next topic. So this one says, how can I manage binge eating post-show? Cool. So this is definitely a controversial topic, especially for bodybuilding in general. And it's one of the reasons why bodybuilding does get a bad rap. There's no, there's no doubt about that whatsoever because it can put people into difficult situations with disordered eating. And I think one thing to say first up is just because you binge eat post-show doesn't mean you have a binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very different. And like, don't look down on yourself for, for having like uncontrollable eating post-show mm-hmm. because it is kind of, we touched on this a little bit, I think an episode two ago, but it is the body's natural response to want to eat everything in sight. Like your body is in a starvation mode. It thinks it's dying literally because your body fat is so low. And it all it wants to do is gain energy and gain body fat. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're having those urges. Even people who've, who's never, even people who've never even been food focused before, like they can take it or leave it in terms of food. Like they can go up to a dessert bar or a buffet and they'll, they'll just eat their fill and then leave. People post-show will still binge. Yeah. Yeah. It is completely normal, guys, to feel hungry. And, you know, (laughs) emphasize that word hungry. It's very normal to feel very hungry. But just remember, right, like your actions are not your identity. So even if you do have a day where you do feel out of control, you may feel like you've eaten a lot more than you probably required, right? And you've done something, your actions are not your identity. So then just because necessarily you ate a huge meal, right, or you had a few big meals, you ate a lot of food in one day, that does not make you a binge eater, all right? So that's one thing. You just sometimes have to accept what happened, right? And just move on. And some, you need to understand why it's happening too, right? You just went through a period of chronic dieting, maybe five to six months where you were incredibly disciplined on the T, right? And you achieve this fantastic result, but you are in a very, very lean state and it's totally normal for the body's hunger signals to be absolutely skewed. And then you have that realization that like, okay, right, I achieved this big goal, it's over, and then your body almost goes into overdrive and it's like, all right, it's time to eat. But I actually heard Sherelle Grant actually say this fantastic thing on one of her most recent podcasts. Her and Danny have the podcast called The Level Up Podcast. It's a really, really good channel. But Sherelle was talking about this concept of don't miss twice, which I absolutely love. So don't miss twice means that Even if you have one day where perhaps you go off track or you overeat or you miss your workout, right? Just accept what happened, but just don't let it happen again the next day. Don't miss twice. So the next day, just get right back on track. You know, eat eat in accordance with whatever your caloric and your macronutrient goal is, or just eat in a normal, healthy manner, right? Go do your workout, go for your normal morning walk. Just get right back on track and you'll be feeling so much better. Try not to make it into that cycle, right? Don't have one episode spin you over into a day, into a few days, into a week, into a month, because you're just going to dig yourself deeper. So don't miss twice. I really, really loved that. Mm. 
yeah, I think kind of establishing that cycle is the most dangerous part mm -hmm. because uh, yeah, we kind of all know that you you binge and then you purge or you then you restrict yourself again and then you get really hungry cycle repeats you don't give yourself a chance to eat more food and gain body weight consistently so if we're addressing this from more a physiological point as opposed to a psychological then physiologically you need to gain some weight gain mm. some body fat and then let things regulate again and it's also important to stay consistent because if you don't then you won't be able to consistently let your metabolism adapt to a larger intake of food uh, and therefore you'll kind of be stuck eating a kind of piss poor amount and then you'll continually stay hungry. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think trying to prepare yourself for how you're going to feel in the first place and prior preparation should hopefully help you manage the post-show period much better, right? So months out, perhaps even before you even begin a comp prep, make sure that you've actually sat down with your coach, right? Or you've had discussions with other people on what to expect because it does happen to all of us guys, right? Like, like I said, you go through those months of being incredibly disciplined and adherent and on the fricking ball. But after show day, when there's all the hype and the celebratory meals and stuff, it is really hard to control yourself and say no, because you are really hungry. But if you actually have expectations on what to expect, that can actually make that process a little bit more easier if you actually have a game plan. So if you actually sit down with your coach, right, and actually have a discussion on setting some new goals post-show, right? Especially setting performance goals, actually analyzing your physique. All right, what do we wanna work on, right? And actually setting a new goal so that you can still be working towards something, but also having a game plan with food too. So after the show, right? Go out and have a meal with your family, right? But perhaps rather than ordering everything at the Italian restaurant, let yourself order two things and a dessert, right? And then the next day, maybe you could have another one free meal, but the other two meals are pretty similar to what you were eating in the days before, right? That's, that's just an example. And another thing is getting yourself straight into a caloric surplus following your show too. Again, so that you're not still in that deprived, hungry state. You're not in a deficit because after your show, guys, dieting is over, right? You need to start putting on some body fat so that you aren't struggling like this anymore. And yeah, I struggled with binge eating for three years. It was, it was awful. It was absolutely awful, right? One of the, like the hardest periods of my life in three years, that's a really, really long time to struggle all the way from grade 11 to first year uni. And the reasons why was one, I was trying to maintain a just ridiculously low body weight, right? For example, now I get up to like 68 kilograms in my off season. I was down at like 52 kilograms and I'm 176 centimeters tall. <laughs> I, it was ridiculous, right? I was trying to maintain a ridiculously low body weight. I was trying to live in a dieting phase and I was so restrictive with my food too. So I would be incredibly restrictive. And that's another thing why we don't advocate during a comp prep for super duper strict meal plans and restricting certain foods. Because if you're restricting certain foods psychologically, once you exit a post comp phase, all you wanna do is eat that food, right? If your coach has told you that you can't eat cookies, chocolate and ice cream and pizza throughout your entire comp prep, where are you gonna go post show? You're gonna go to mm. the chocolate cookie pizza bar, right? And it's all you're and gonna wanna that, eat. And saying that, like, we, personally, we won't say no to them, but 
if someone is having normal chocolate and a, quite a lot of it, like 100 grams of chocolate, then they're not going to have much room for other things. So <laughs> obviously, we like, like one square of dark chocolate. That's very different to like yes. two Mars bars. But yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, something else I wanted to raise is just focusing on other other things as well like focus on your training performance mm. how are you going to improve that you're going to improve that by having more energy availability and you're going to have more energy by gaining more body weight slowly increasing your calories over time and so on and so forth and a lot of the time it will be most difficult for first-time competitors because they've never experienced something like this before and that, as Tierra said you don't know what to expect so having that conversation next time or for people who still haven't wrapped up their season have that conversation with your coach and if they don't want to have that conversation then yeah have a, have some critical thinking time <laughs> there's other coaches out there just saying <laughs> but yeah that's certainly the thing so with food obviously you need to be disciplined you need to be adherent if you have to do specific things if you want to achieve a specific goal in bodybuilding throughout your dieting phase of course but in saying that like we're saying you don't need to be so restrictive that you can't even have a lick of a prune okay mm. like you can fit these small little things if you know that those are foods that you genuinely enjoy right because that's the thing for me i used to restrict for example cheese but then when i would have a binge eating episode i would go into the kitchen and i would just eat a cold block of cheese right <laughs> so or like it, it was gross but i felt out of control i felt like someone else had taken over my body it was absolutely awful but it's because i had manifested this idea in my head that cheese was bad right and i couldn't have it but then when i had that all or nothing mentality it's all i wanted to eat or if i was you know out at an event or a party and there was a cheese platter i wouldn't even talk to people i'd just go hide next to the cheese platter and eat all the brie but like now i have you have cheese, cheese every day i have cheese every day the fridge stinks because i've got so many different blocks of cheese and jack's it's gotten like, a lot better over time <laughs> to be fair jack's like what is this blue moldy stuff and i'm like it's blue cheese it's delicious but you know now i have it every single day and i enjoy it i have like you know 15 grams of melted cheese on my egg and I love it, but I don't crave it in the same way that, that I used to, right? I don't go off to a party and I see a cheese platter. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, but it's the same shiz I have every single morning, right? Mm. I don't feel that temptation of, oh my God, all I want is cheese and all I can do is hyper-focus on cheese and I can't even engage in a conversation with someone else, so. But it, at the same time, I think what you've said is very valid, but it is slightly different in a comp prep because there someone might have like binge eating tendencies disordered eating maybe even the disorder at a higher body fat but mm -hmm. in comp prep it is i know for myself i i've had binge eating disordered eating in the past as well at a similar time to you and that was when my body fat was much more normal and now even as a coach even someone who has taken people through prep who's done prep himself and someone who knows all the evidence and science behind it I am still my body is still going to tell me to overeat post comp and the only way I will not do that is because I know that sticking to a plan focusing on other factors so I know that if I gain weight steadily if I don't have l large periods of overeating substantially then before I know it I'll be eating like 3500 plus calories my appetite will be more regulated and I know that if I have those stages of overeating and then just coming back down it's going to take me longer to get to that point so and everything for me i'm a very objectively driven person so i know that if i stick to a plan then positive things will happen 
but that just works for me. So it's about finding what works for you. And I love how you use, you know, the term overeating there rather than binging, because I think that vocabulary really matters. And I think that if you set yourself up for the way that you approach it, right, and the way that you actually describe it as post-show, yeah, I'm going to be a bit hungry. And yeah, I might overeat a little bit, but rather than saying post-show, I'm guaranteed to binge, that's looking at it from two completely different lenses, Mm. right? So I've heard people come to me and say like, oh, I had a massive binge on the weekend. And then I'm like, oh, what did you eat? And they said, yeah, I just had a hamburger and chips. That's the thing, right? (laughs) Everyone has a different idea of what a binge episode is. Someone eats an extra piece of toast and they, they freak out because they say that they've binged, right? Like I have a completely different Mm. interpretation of what a true binge eating episode is compared to just slightly going over in your calories. So that's certainly a binge is basically like an uncontrollable urge to eat. And it's almost mindless where you kind of don't think about it. You just do it. And like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to go into what I've done previously. Well, it's awful. Like the way I always, well, like Tierra saying she ate a block of cheese. Like that's, that's binging. It's thoughtless. Yeah. And it didn't stop at the block of cheese. Yeah. Like the way that I describe it is like, imagine that you're hanging off the edge of a cliff by your fingertips. Right. And you're trying so hard to hold on because you do not want to fall off this cliff, but you almost know it's inevitable, right? You're just, you're not strong enough and you start to slip and you slip and then you just fall and you're just falling for a really, really long time into this, into this pit. And it really feels like someone else takes over your mind and you genuinely feel out of control because you've probably been restricting yourself for so long. And it's almost like you can't even taste the food when it's happening, right? You, I don't know, things, some people describe it as it goes really fast. Some people describe it as it goes in slow motion, but you might just find that you are all of a sudden in the kitchen, right? And you're eating cold blocks of cheese and you've got a spoon in the Milo tub, right? And you're just, you're eating random things. You're almost trying to fill this void. It's happening so quickly that you can't even taste anything. You don't even enjoy it. And then like, you feel super sick and then Mm. finally you catch your breath. It's almost like you come back down to earth. You're like, what just happened, right? Like, oh my gosh. And you think back, you're like, man, if I was actually going to eat that much food, why didn't I even enjoy it, right? Why didn't I melt the cheese on something, right? Why didn't I make myself a Milo? Like, oh my gosh, it's, it's crazy. And it's so hard to overcome. Again, I struggled with this for three years. Three years is such a long time to struggle, guys. But you don't need to struggle, right? As long as you recognize that gaining weight after a dieting phase, it's going to be inevitable, right? So why not try to have a plan and do it in the healthiest ways possible? Like you said, you're a very objective person, right? So you would rather one, get yourself into a moderate surplus, start slowly gaining weight. You're still eating food. That's Mm. the thing. We're not starving. We're still eating probably three to six times every single day. Eating is one of the most common things human beings do every single day, right? You go to the gym probably once, you go to work once, you're going to eat multiple freaking times. So guys, there's no fear of missing out. You're doing this thing every few hours, literally. So that's the thing. If it's inevitable, right, that you're going to gain weight post-show, why not do it in a moderate way, right, that makes you feel really good, complements your performance goals, you feel happy, you feel energetic, you feel strong, you like the way that your body composition is changing gradually, rather 
than just feeling out of control, just eating the house down, right? And that doesn't make you feel very good mentally. So you don't even want to train or you feel like you need to super compensate and you need to, you can't even go lift weights and you'd rather hop on the Stairmaster for an hour or something. So it's really how you approach it. So you need to accept that Gaining weight is inevitable, but there's a hell of a lot of different ways that you can gain that weight to truly build the body that you're actually, that you actually desire. Yeah. All right. How's that? <laughs> I think that's a fairly sufficient answer. And like we're always, our DMs are always open. If you need a chat, if you're currently being coached by someone and you feel like they're not giving you enough support, then feel free to message us. And same goes for anyone else who's even just doing a normal diet and there or anyone in general, even who's not dieting, who's who's um, uh, having a difficult time with it. So yeah, feel free to message us. Awesome. All right. Well, the last thing we finish every episode on is one thing that we learned this week. So Jack, what did you learn this week? So I learned, I was listening to a podcast and it just made me think about a topic that I haven't really thought too much about before. And it's basically basically there's essential and non-essential nutrients for for everybody and for for every nutrient so for example we know there's the essential and non-essential amino acids the non-essential ones being our body can produce those amino acids ourselves so we don't need to get it from the diet whereas the essential ones our body either doesn't produce them or they don't make enough of them so therefore we need to get them from the diet and it was just the podcast just breaking down one specific nutrient like glycine which is one of the non-essential amino acids saying okay maybe for athletes glycine is actually an essential amino acid because due to the um, increased demands from exercise our body can't produce enough so like when we actually look at every single nutrient there's probably going to be more than we think that maybe are essential for people who do exercise regularly or depend even depends on what sort of form of exercise they do engage in yeah that's a really good point because glycine being the most abundant amino acid in the body right but if Mm. you have increased requirements because you are engaging in certain activities i haven't heard another podcast i think eric helms was actually talking about for vegan and vegetarian athletes he would actually argue that creatine should be an essential nutrient because omnivores right meat eaters we generally would probably get enough creatine from our diet that doesn't dismiss the fact that um, supplementing with extra creatine isn't beneficial from an ergogenic standpoint but vegan and vegetarians because they're not getting a lot of creatine from the diet right and creatine isn't just for building muscle it has a lot of neurological benefits too perhaps vegans and vegetarians should consider right creatine as essential nutrients similar to trying to get enough omega-3 fatty Mm. acids or trying to get enough b12 yeah and creatine is just because it is found in red meat doesn't mean they source it from red meat Mm. it's it's synthetically produced yeah they make it in a lab yeah (laughs) anyway is vegan (laughs) what did you learn this week this week i learned that do not let yourself get ripped off by a mechanic so a few years ago when i was in uni you know uni student i bought myself a cheap little car right i got myself a little nissan micra and i think i bought it for like what seven thousand bucks or something like that but dude there's going to be so many people are going like you you got ripped off even buying that for 7k (laughs) but not necessarily had low kilometers it's in great shape i looked it up on car sales other people are selling theirs for like eight thousand so no no neither of us are very car people no but anyway i did learn something about cars this past week so 
last year when I went to get my little Nissan micro serviced, right? They did a service on it and then they told me they're like, hey, we just want to let you know that your suspension is a bit loose and it's not immediate right now, but by your next service, we'll need you to actually, like we recommend that you actually get your suspension replaced and it's probably going to cost you around one and a half thousand dollars. So just giving you a heads up. And then that kind of made me a little bit reluctant to go get my car serviced again, you know, within the next year, because I'm like, man, one and a half thousand bucks for this suspension, like, ah, but obviously I had to get my car serviced at that 12 month point. I don't really drive that often. So it definitely didn't have anywhere near 10,000 kilometers on it. Went to this great mechanic that had great Google reviews. <laughs> up the road and I let them know, right? I was like, Hey, the previous mechanic I went to actually warned me that, you know, I might need to get my suspension replaced, but I just want to let you know that I'm actually planning to sell this car. So if it's not necessary, can we please not replace it? He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll have a look. Anyway, go back that afternoon. He's like, your suspension is fine. And I'm like, what really? And he's like, yeah, literally it's just such a cheap make of car that it's gonna rattle a little bit, you know? And if you would have got your suspension replaced, it would have rattled still the exact same amount. It's just a cheap little car. And I'm like, thank you so much for not ripping me off, right? And that is genuine customer service. That's why that mechanic up the road, he's got so many cars at his place because he's probably making more money getting more work, not ripping people off because he has returned customers. Yeah. Yeah, so. Guys, if you are not a car savvy person, and it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, whoever the heck you are, I don't know much about cars, okay, <laughs> obviously, but if someone's telling you like, hey, something's wrong with this thing that I know you don't can't actually see and you aren't very educated on, but you're gonna have to pay me a few thousand bucks to fix it, get a quote from someone else, you know? Mm. Just double check that shiz because I think mechanics that would probably, and I'm sorry if there's any mechanics listening to this, I hope you're a nice mechanic. <laughs> um, well, the same can be said for any profession. So yeah. you can't just relate it to all yeah. mechanics. Even a dietitian, right? I'm going to give you the best meal plan that's going to make you the healthiest, strongest athlete on the planet, right? You're going to have to pay me $3,000 and you get it and you find out it's cookie cutter. It doesn't even take into account that you don't eat half the foods, right? And then like 10 other people also have the same plan. So... Mm. Anyway, do not let yourself get ripped off by mechanics. And I'm really glad that I still have an extra one and a half thousand dollars in my bank. So, woo-ha! Yep, that's me. That's what I learned this week. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, you can repost it onto your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can also leave a review on iTunes. It would be very much appreciated. And we'll see you guys next week.